Let's get, get, get it. My grandfather's brother, they're from like Gloucester, Virginia. And when we moved to New York, you know, he bought three brownstones. They're valued now. The total package is like four and a half million dollars. Welcome to the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast. At Todd Capital, we believe business and investing are team sports. And this podcast is for those who want to turn their capital into generational legacy. It's what you all been waiting for, ain't it? Todd Consultant presents the Vending Machine Business Webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Hey everybody, it's your girl Erica Williams from the Classy Climb blog. I'm a six-figure YouTube earner and the author of the book Smartphone Millionaire, how to lend to people, real estate, and businesses from the palm of your hand. And if you're interested in the three things that changed my life over the past four years to become a six-figure YouTube earner and investor in multiple properties in multiple states, I would love for you to join me over at the Classy Climb YouTube channel. And here's your host, Mr. Todd Millionaire himself, Charles Oglesby. This is the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast, episode 146. My name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Todd Millionaire, founder and director of the Todd Capital Investment Club, also the founder of the Todd Capital Options Community that has over 1,200 people, so we're killing it right now. Uh, make sure you leave us a rating or review. We like rating or ratings and reviews, preferably five-star reviews. They help us move up in the rankings. Um, thank you all for tuning in. The purpose of this podcast and the purpose of this podcast always has been to share the stories of successful African-American business owners and investors so that people can hear the stories of successful examples because they exist. We want people to learn that business and investing are the true keys to financial success and generational wealth. With us today, we have Mr. Real Estate Coach Carter, Malik Carter from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a real estate investor in the Philly market and he has a huge following on social media. People have been watching him and he has just kind of been killing it. And it's kind of crazy. I never had him on the show. I think we might've talked about this a long time ago, but just never closed the loop. But I wanted to get him on because he is a huge influencer and just a wealth of knowledge. So welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. You do uh, everything. For a while, I didn't know what your name was. I was like, wait, it's named Todd? Is his name? What, what's his name? Is <laughs> it <Right>. Charles? <laughs> I get that a lot. I see Todd everything. So yeah. now I see you doing everything, man. But, I, but no, I, um, I like what you're doing, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So can you tell people uh, who you are, where you're from, and kind of a little bit about your background? All right. Once again, real estate coach Carter from the city of Philadelphia. Um, I am a a realtor, uh, a real estate investor, and so I buy and rent houses, and I renovate houses for sale. And now I'm doing uh, turnkey rentals for other investors. That's a new venture that um, that I'm getting into now, actually. So I was I was doing it on a small scale, but now I'm looking to like uh, ramp that up. And um, a couple of months ago, I got my first out-of-state flip. I'm doing in Durham, North Carolina. So I think uh, Durham is my, my next market. That's dope. So we always ask people this question, but what was life like growing up for you? Uh, my life was good growing up, man. I can't, I, I can't, I don't have like those, uh, the hood war stories. Like I grew up 
it was like on the edge of the hood. So it was like, for those that know Philly, like Drexel University was like two blocks away. And then over time, the area, my, my block since it was on the border kind of crossed over. So it was like, it was a resort. It's like the better neighborhood. You know, I did grow up with, you know, with, with both parents, you know, um, my dad was, I knew about his legit life, but he was in the street too. I, you know, I learned that, I learned that he was in the street and, uh, later on, we got into some stuff, surprisingly, you know, with me and him when I was in college. And uh, I'm like, wow, I didn't know he was in the street that much. But, you know, he was there. But like I said, that was it was great growing up. It was actually even better. You know, I found my parents were separated because I was in trouble with my dad's house. I go to my mom's house yeah. when I wasn't, you know, <laughs> so I was in trouble there. I go to my dad's house. So, you know, and I know that my parents were, you know, felt guilty from their split because I was still young. And um, so they, they gave me a lot, you know, what they had. So now nah, I definitely don't, you know, don't have those uh, a bunch of poverty stories. Yeah, sure. You know, there were times when utilities were cut off. But, you know, for the most part, it was it was good growing up. Um, but just real quick, though, I do want to say what I got right now, both my parents were hustling. My dad always had real estate. My mom, she always had multiple jobs, multiple hustles, whether it was like making baskets or we would go to New York, go to Canal Street. You know, she would buy stuff. I would, you know, I would buy like the fake tag hewer watches and like the fake pull off Canal Street, bring to school and sell it like those type of stories. But, you know, watching them is really what gave me the confidence to kind of be out here on my own mm-hmm. um, making money. My dad, my dad my dad, never had a job, right? So just watching him, you know, from construction to his street life, you know, watching that. So the confidence to be out here is where it's at. I think that's key. Uh, I think we skip over that a lot. And I was talking about how like on Mother's Day, I was like, people see me and they see me doing all these different things, but like that's just been my life. My mom's always been getting it. She worked her job, went to school at nighttime, bought her own home, did all these crazy things. So like for me, I've always seen somebody getting it seven days a week, no stopping, no excuses, no roadblocks. No, I can't do it because this is in the way. And so that just transferred over to me, maybe a little bit, 10 times, because now I have the foundation of seeing somebody already done it. So it's like, you can be more confident in your moves. It's not foreign. It's not something that like, it's for white people. It's like, no, like my family, my parents black too, and they've been doing it. So. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so ownership, I said this before. So my dad had rental properties. My grandfather had rental properties and both of his brothers had rental properties. My my grandfather's brother, they were from like Gloucester, Virginia. And when we moved to New York, you know, he bought three brownstones. They're valued now. The total package is like four and a half million dollars for those three houses that he bought probably in the 50s. Right. And so and then prior to that, they grew up on a farm that their parents owned. They got from them. And we still have that seven acres. And then we also got 40 acres in Gloucester, Virginia. If anybody want to look it up, it's called Carter's Creek. And look at Carter's Creek. And there's a peninsula like that's our 40 acres right there on Carter's Creek. And uh-huh. that by how it happened is my thing was great, great, great grandfather got that land because what he would do during the Civil War is right on the York River. Right. And so he would have to he was like a, a double agent in a way. Right. So mm-hmm. he would. How the story goes is he knew the river very well. And so the Confederates pay him to navigate them at nighttime up and down the river so they wouldn't be attacked by the Union. And then so after the Civil War, like they'd been paying him so much money that his two brothers ran north, but he stayed. And when they came back to Virginia, he had enough money and he uh, they gave him his 40 acres and a bunch of tools. I have the different Adidas around here somewhere. 
And then his, he had enough money to where he bought his two brothers boats and they became oyster farmers. And that was the beginning of like the entrepreneurship for like the Carter side all the way through me and hopefully to, to my sons, right? So it goes back to the Civil War, right? That's crazy. So every generation has its own real estate to Civil War. Is that a famous story? Because I've heard something. Yeah, no, it's not, it's, not, it's not a famous story. Like I just found out about it like three years ago, probably. That's crazy. Nobody ever talks about that. That's generational wealth. <laughs> absolutely. That's like the, the definition of generational wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, what, when did you start getting into real estate as an investor? So right around the last collapse, maybe like oh seven ish up on my first property around that time, you know, I was doing mortgages and um, I was doing, everybody was getting rich then, right? Right like oh seven, everybody was getting rich doing mortgages. And so I started buying properties and um, that's like the first ones that I, that I bought. I bought a house that I was doing rooms. I was in a rooming house and then I bought the office that my company was in. And then I bought a house to live in on my own. Um, my then girlfriend, now wife, bought a house together, and that was our journey in actually buying real estate back then. Can you then talk to us? Can you talk to us about um, that that office building? Because I don't think we've ever had anybody on here that actually bought an office building. Well, it wasn't it wasn't an office building. It was uh, a mixed use property, right? So I bought a storefront and an apartment above it to keep my overhead low. And so cool. you know, so we had um, the goal was to have the storefront. And then in the back apartment had the um, a street exit. So the plan was to put a it was a it was a bi level apartment back there. So the goal was to put the daycare back there. But um, the license and inspection here they just kept adding on more and more stuff that I needed. They would give me the stuff and I would do it. And I would no, you need this. And then it just kept getting more and more expensive. Then we just decided to rent it out and just put a tenant in there, and that covered like the that covered really with the a big part of the mortgage. Hi, how are you? I am Andre C. Hatchett, 15-year mobile notary pioneer and veteran. We have created the Notary Business School, which will show you how to start a successful, long-term, needed business as a mobile notary public. Well, with 15 years of experience and with different downturns in the economy, we have labeled this business as being recession-proof, meaning that you can run this business in any climate, any city, any state in America. On average, our students make between 60 and 200 $150 per appointment, which usually takes under an hour. I'll say that again. On average, our students usually make between $60 and $250 per appointment as a mobile notary public. If you would like to enroll and save a few dollars, go to the website, millinotarypromo.com. That is millinotarypromo.com. Look forward to seeing you in class. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Was your business operating out of the storefront? In the storefront, right. Exactly. It's dope. So it's like a house hack, business hack type deal. Yeah. And listen, I did a, um, a video a few months ago and said, whatever business, business you're doing, it starts with real estate, right? If you want to do a small restaurant, get the mixed use property with the apartments, the restaurant, and you have a better chance of survival. Barbershop, nail salon, doesn't matter. Get that building so you don't have to pay that big commercial rent. You know, mm-hmm. if it doesn't work out, rent to somebody else or change it, change your business model, pivot. We never talk about that. I feel like everybody either, they separate the two. They think it's either business or real estate and they don't realize like you can own that business, that building too. And that gives you way more flexibility. If you want to run the business, you can. If you want to hack the business and hire people to kind of sublet the space, you can do that too. It's a lot more flexibility when you're an owner as right, opposed I mean, to when you're a tenant. Right, especially in Philly, right, where real estate is cheap. Like you can get a storefront with three apartments above it. You can get it with FHA loan. So you're only putting three and a half percent down anyway. 
you know, you're going to get like right now, like a 3.4% interest rate, you know, so the payment on that, say 200 grand, like a thousand dollars and you got three, wow. you know, you can live in one apartment and then you got two more apartments, right? So it's going to pay. So you can have your space for, for free. So, yeah. and that the biggest part is the overhead, right? As having pay a mortgage to pay rent, but you don't have that because someone else is paying for it. So your business likelihood of survival is much higher. Yeah, 100%. I feel like there's a Philadelphia renaissance going on right now. Can you kind of talk about that? Because it's like so much dopeness coming out of Philly. Listen, I'm, look, Philly is, let me tell you this, man. It's a lot of young millionaires out of Philly right now. Like these boys in their 20s, you know, riding around, they pick up trucks with the sheetrock uh, dust on the jeans. They really get into it. You know, like the, the values in Philly have just been shooting up and like, is mostly real estate stuff. And then, so it's real estate stuff, but then it's like coaching. I think Philly has more coaches per capita than I think any other city. <laughs> like everybody is a, a coach or got a class, right? I got something. Like it's a lot of people that's doing it. But what it is right now is the city already had a culture, right? A lot of the old culture has gone away because they closed a lot of our, our venues, but now there's more people, you know, um, have gravitated towards doing business. And because real estate is so cheap, it made it easy for people to get in. People were, were buying houses for 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, you know, and myself, you know, a, a prime example, what actually put me in a game like full time is the house I used to live in. I bought it like nine years ago. It was on the market for 77,000, right? I got a FHA mortgage and I bought it for 63,000. Nobody wanted it. That was eight, nine years ago. Uh, November of 18, I flipped the house two doors down from that house for 325. That house, that house is probably now worth 400 after only a year and a half. And I still own a house I used to live in that, you know, I owe a mortgage on it of probably like 111 now or something like that. But the house, if I put a little work into it, it was worth $400,000. But so what I did, I bought that house. I refinanced it like a year and a half later. I took out 50000 I had never had $50,000 at one time before. And so I took that fifty, and NASA really, really put me in a game. So I was able to leverage that, get my next property, leverage that, you know, on, and do the chain and get to the next ones. And um, that one, that really put me in a game right there, that, that, that project. So what does your portfolio look like today? So right now... Um, I have, this is, I'm telling you, this is a mess up. I have 11 vacant properties. Well, no, no, it's nine vacant properties right now that, got, that I got caught up with, with COVID. But out of my occupied is, is 19 occupied houses. And the way I have my portfolio is I'll have one to be leveraged up. My next one, I'll just put my cash out of it. And then the third one be free and clear, you know, and that's, I do that because um because I did lose everything in 08. And so that's why I'm not really big on leveraging everything back out. And um and keep I can, you know, I can leverage up a far. I can I can have a way more stuff, but I'm just not a huge fan of um, you know, of taking out a, a, a bunch of big loans. You yeah. know, I live good now. I mean, after since since the since COVID hit, I haven't really worked in the past two months, man. And I'm not really rushing to get back out there. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a good space. Honestly, COVID was kind of a good thing for me, right? Cause I had an opportunity to like really step back and look at myself and look at my business rather than be in these houses all day long, yeah. you know, and like really evaluate where I want to go, what I want to do next, rather than just be same old, you know, just houses every day. I think what's cool is it's not about just getting it. It's about keeping it. And so now you have a strategy that like worst case scenario, you're going to at least retain what you own. 
as opposed to scaling really fast, buying as much as you can, but it's like a house of cards. It's like one small thing and the whole thing comes tumbling down. And I feel like that's kind of like the motivation that comes when you have gone through something that hurts. Because when you have it all and then you lose it, like that hurts. And so you never want to feel that pain again. So you're willing to forego what looks like pleasure to maintain that 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 situation for a long time. So I think that's dope. Um, the vacant properties, what's your plan with those? Are you guys going to renovate those immediately? Or are you going to hold on to those just as kind of inventory? No. So I'm normally a disciplined investor, right? I don't like to be in more than two houses at a time. And the numbers were getting so good up here. I was like, I gotta, I gotta hurry up, you know. So what I was doing, and also flips are becoming harder, harder and harder to come by. So what I was doing is, I, I would buy rentals, put them to the side, and work on the flips. And then the now I got there's two flips that I'm doing actually with hard money that I couldn't work on because the stock worked, you know, with the um with the corona. And then I have my one project in North Carolina. I do have partners on that one, and that one has been going. The problem with that one down there is the inspectors they haven't come out yet because they're they're not working every day. And once I get approval to do the sheetrock, would we'll be good in North Carolina. But the ones here, my general contractor actually got COVID, and um, he's uh. over he's over it now. And I'm not gonna rush him back. I'm like, listen, just go ahead. And so we're not gonna get back in those two until after Memorial Day. You know, like I said, I'm gonna let let him recover. You know, hopefully he's not contagious anymore. And the last thing I need is for someone else to get it because he's still contagious, you know. And um, so we'd be back at those two. But my rentals, I got, so one of them was occupied a few weeks ago. And I'm finishing up two more. And then the other ones, I'm just going to take them down um, one at a time. I'm not going to try to try to kill them. Yeah. Like, like the one time, I mean, so me, you got to realize, so, so the only ones I have mortgages on are the two with the hard money and one North Carolina. Carolina, but all the other units, it's just my cash locked up, right? So I'm in a good position to survive this, but I feel like I'm going to be able to get like a lot of deals in like nine to 12 months. And so I'm not in a great position to, to like really thrive and grab as many, you know, and this wealth transfer that I would like to, but I, I'll, I'll be able to get through with just fine. Though. So you think the prices are going to come down? Oh, that's gonna be crazy. I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to be an alarmist, right? And I don't really say this a lot on my platform, like talking to people. But in 2008, when I went through it, people were committing suicide, right? It was bad. And somebody jumped off a of city hall, like people were losing everything. And so at at the peak of that, we lost like four, at the four years, we lost like 12 million jobs. There's 36 million unemployment uh, claims in six weeks. Now, right. out of 36 million, a lot of those people are going back to work. But is it number 30 million back to work, right? Is it 28 million back to work? You know, so it's going to be a, there's a lot of, of businesses closing down, like people were on the edge or retiring, like this has been a catalyst to say, you know what, it's over, right? And so the difference, I think, in the, the two is that the one, the banks have been stress tested a lot over the years. So the banks are in very good condition way better than they were then. Um, and they there aren't they don't have like those risky, you know, cozy loans and, you know, MTAs where it's like you're only paying interest on, right? So they don't have all of those type of loans out there. Yeah. Interest rates have been super low since, you know, since then. I mean, right now, 3.2, 3. I mean, crazy low interest rates. And, but, and also the government is already throwing like $6 trillion at the problem, you know? And so that is also helping us like to not to go back into that. But I say, what happens in nine to 12 months when the government says enough's enough? No more $1,200, you know, a week 
for unemployment, you know, no more stimulus to each, you know, and if people don't go back to work, you know what happens. So no, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be kind of, kind of bad out here and like, you know, a lot of opportunities for a couple of years. I can see that happening. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at partnerwithmillie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Hey ladies, this is your co-host, Rashana Scott. And are you looking for a community of women real estate investors? If so, I want to take a quick second to share with you Infinity Membership. Sorry, fellas, but Infinity Membership is a women's only online community for newbie and experienced investors. Come let your hair down and join a non-judgment zone sisterhood where all of your questions about investing in real estate get answered. This is also an opportunity to learn from the best of the best. Other seasoned and successful women in the industry share their success tips often. Our live group sessions are twice a month and we support each other daily within our private Facebook group. Our sessions range from driving for dollars to working with contractors to out-of-state investing, raising private capital, marketing your deals, and so much more. Does this sound like something that you've been looking for? Well, we would love to have you. For more information, visit us at bit.ly forward slash infinity membership. Again, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash infinity membership. Yeah, it's funny. I'm seeing a lot of homes going on the market. I get emails from like Redfin. And so I'm getting a lot of listings. A lot of people are putting their homes up for sale. And the crazy part is, is like they they haven't lowered those prices that they're attractive. They're still putting them out there, like hoping to get top dollar. They don't realize like you're not going to get a lot of bites because not a lot of people can qualify for a mortgage because they don't have income. Well, I mean, there's still people. See, the thing is, everything is still propped up, right? So you don't see all the pain right now. And yeah. so people are still going to ask for those top, even me, when I'm on the market, I'm going to put it in today's market until it's proven to me that nobody's going to buy it. Then I might lower, but I'm still putting my house on the market what I wanted it to, what I wanted yeah. to at that time period. And, you know, we'll see. And right now is a good time. If you wait 9, 10, 12 months, it might not be a good time. So no, right. I'm, I will definitely put my house on the market at full volume and see what happens. See what happens. So um, let's talk about what your best deal looked like. You've done a lot of deals, but which one would you say was your best one? So the, actually the best one is the one that I, so I sold two years down, like I said. So that one, I mean, I made like 120 on that flip and it took me nine years to get the property, you know, and I tell people the fortunes in the follow up, the house had burned down. I found up, followed with the lady like every couple of months for nine years until wow. finally she called me and was like, she said, this is, she said, look, the white bulls offered me 95,000, but I give it to you for a hundred. I'm like, damn, I can't get it for 95. Right. <laughs> like, damn, the white bull get the better price, price than me. It's like, all right, all right, all right, 95,000. You know, when I ended up, you know, buying it, like, so ended up like one, like, like gross 130, but I was the, my realtor, right? So I, I think my net was, it'd be like 120 when that flip. But as far as my rentals go, I have one rental that I bought for the 38 and that one I put a tenant in it for like 1250 a month then after they moved out I put 1500 more in and that one I'm getting like 1700 a month for that one right now so wow. you know I, my mortgage 
doing this 306, you know, so making like almost 20 grand a month from that, that one property. So that's my best rental and then my best, uh, my best flip. On that flip, did you use cash to buy it or was it hard money? And I use hard money on that one. I don't know me, you know, if it's, if it's cash, I do a deal for like 70 cash, but I'm not going to buy a house for 90. I'll use hard money for that. Um, when it comes to hard money loans, it sounds like you have a lot of projects going at the same time. Do lenders allow you to do multiple projects at, at the same time as long as it makes sense financially? Yeah, they don't, they don't really check my, your income. All they care about is your track record, you know, and so, and that's it. As long as, as, at the end of the day, at their math, they're only lending you 65% of the values. They'll just take right. it over anyway. I've actually seen that. I've seen the project. I was the, the agent, well, I partnered with an agent on the project. This house was completely done and on the market. And, um, but the lender did whatever extensions. And then eventually it was like, no, and they snatched the house back, a completed house. All they did was put it on the market and they sold, they made the profit. Wow. <laughs> you know, I've, I've seen crazy. it right at, right at 54th and Spruce, man. So West Philly. And that's what happened. The house was totally done on the market, but I don't know. You know maybe the loan, you know, they went past whatever yeah. expiration date alone. It didn't extend. I don't know what happened, but yeah, the lender took it and sold it. So right now it seems like you aren't really finding a lot of deals, but before Corona, well, I would say this, what's your strategy for finding deals after this whole plays out? Like going forward, how are you going to find deals? Because everything is changing. And a lot, I think a lot of people could use some help kind of navigating what's coming. So as far as finding deals is always the same. So I'll, I'll send the letters out. I'll knock on the door. I'll make the phone call. Uh, there are still deals on the MLS. You know, you can't offer them what they want, what they want for be a good deal. But I find deals on the MLS all the time. You know, it's just offer. It has to, if they take your offer, cool. If they don't, you know, don't, you know, over push it. And even now my offers are coming down lower. It's because we don't even know what the new values are going to be. And right. that's why you can't do like the um, rehab loans right now with the lenders. It's just, it's real hard at this moment until things, you know, people get at least get back to work. Um, so, the best way really for me to f- I find deals is to be in the street. Like when I'm on these projects and I'm meeting the neighbors all the time, they'll say, well, so-and-so got a house. And I'm like, listen, you know, I'll give you 500 bucks or a thousand dollars if you put me in contact with the owner. And, you know, I find deals that way. But definitely being out on the streets on your projects is the cheapest, easiest way to find it. And I even get deals on social media. People see me posting houses that I'm in. They'll call me up. was like, listen, I got this house over here. Are you interested? And, um, you know, I did a I did a three house package like that. Like, actually, you had Justin on here. So Smith, JS, mm-hmm. I did a deal. Somebody offered me three houses for um for one fifteen. I had to buy them cash, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna buy them. And I was gonna buy it, do one and hold them. But instead of doing that, I let Justin get one, and I didn't charge him up. I just get like, here, Justin, you take that one. You know, this one right here, we bought it as a rental together. We decided that we didn't want to be partners in a single family. And so we ended up selling that one for a profit. And then I got my third one, um, a duplex. And that's off of Instagram. So what do those numbers look like? You said you bought three homes for 115? 115 total, yeah. And then you, you said you sold off one. So I, right, I let Justin, Justin bought that one from me. I think I think his price was like 40 35 it was 35 and that one was like a was huge house like not too far from Temple Hospital. Um, it was like a, a big six bedroom or five bedroom, something like that. And he rehabbed it, but he contracted, right? So his cost can be cheaper than mine. And uh, so I don't know what he really put into it, but he's mm-hmm. getting pretty good rents from there from what he told me. And then the second one, that one, um, 
I forget the exact numbers, man, but you know, we ended up selling that one for just 125. This was like, you know, kind of hood. It wasn't really that desirable, but we still made, I think we made like 40 profit. We split on that one. And then the mm-hmm. third one I kept as the duplex. And then, and that was actually, that took me the longest to get ready because I just got approval because it was a duplex, but it was zoned single family. So I had to go through the process. Uh, first of all, it was, I had a, it was a tenant in there and I knew she was going to be a problem. You know, but um, so I had to first of all go to court, get her out. Then after I got her out, I had to go through the process of getting um, the use change to allow me to use it as a duplex. And um, I just got that approval like four weeks ago. I bought this house last May. You know, it's almost a year later. But like I said, I'm only into it for 40 grand for a duplex. That's once it's rehabbed, it'll be worth like 260. So I'm not I'm not mad at all. I think it's dope that you use so many different strategies to deploy one package. So it's like, okay, we're going to rehab this and sell it off. We're going to rehab this and use it as a rental. And then we're going to do all these crazy, do all these like things to rehab this one and potentially sell it off like a year later. Like that's wisdom. And I feel like that <laughs> comes with time. Could yeah, you say that, do, you, do you think that like your strategies have become better, the better that you've gotten and the longer you've been in the game? Yeah, they've definitely become better, you know, because athletes, I'm still learning. You're not even still learning from like the new guys in the game because they learn strategies that I don't use. You know, like um, like you know, using the zero interest credit cards and business credit. I wasn't. I never did that before. Right. So that's a strategy that I picked up from the from the younger guys doing it. You know, I haven't used that yet, but. You know, I I did my first I did my first um, subject to property. I did it all wrong, and I knew I was doing it wrong. I, I think I I documented when I did it and how I did it. It's the beautiful thing about social media, man. So I put up that I was doing it and how I was doing it, and people flooded my DMs. They flooded my inbox with different strategies. Like, no, this is how you're supposed to do that deal, and they added me to different groups that do subject to deals. And like the amount of resource from that one post that I got, which is amazing. Like this whole community, this whole Renaissance time period is just, you know, it's, this is this is a wonderful, wonderful time, man. I don't want to say this, you know, people. I want to say it's jokingly, but but for real, because I don't want to, you know, Americans are sensitive, right? But like like in the words of the great Negro philosopher Cambron, if you can't get paid, <laughs> if you can't get paid in the world this big, you worthless kid. Like it's money out here. You just have to go get it. This episode is brought to you by 24-7 Watches. Shop our limited edition luxury watches at 247watches.com. That's T-W-E-N-T-Y 47watches.com. Use code Todd Capital at checkout for special discount. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at 247watches. That's at T-W-E-N-T-Y 47watches. This episode of the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast is sponsored by Hood Estates. Hood Estates is offering a Hood Estates Elite Real Estate Investing Program, as well as a Hood Estates Trucking Program. All the details can be found in the show notes. You can also find them on Instagram at Hood Estates. Yep. It's crazy. It's like from that one post, I got all types of strategies, you know, and it's just being, but what they also come with me is being honest is saying publicly, like, listen, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And for people are willing to help, you know, and, um, and they help me out. Like I said, so I'm in this one subject to the, I don't like it. Um, I'll do it again, but I won't do it again with the mortgage. You know, and so um, I did another subject to deal and I just took over the back debt, like taxes and liens. And I just gave him like 10 grand 
you know, I took the building over. And so, you know, I got that. And that's the storefront and the apartment above it, too. You know, it's in the hood, but it won't be the hood forever. Right. So I, got, I got 10 grand tied up, so I'm okay. What's what's your take on investing in the hood? Because I know Aisha's big on investing in the hood. We've had some success investing in the hood. There's challenges that come with investing in the hood, but there's also opportunities that come with investing in the hood. So can you talk to us about that a little bit? So I only invest in the hood. I don't, I don't invest anywhere else. It's like... I was telling somebody like, okay, you can, yes, you do get a better quality, a, a higher income tenant in other places. But if my lowest, if I'm making like 20% ROI on my smallest property in the hood, I can put up the headaches, you know, for that 20%, right? Versus getting 11% or 12%, you know, elsewhere. And then beyond that, you know, I used to manage public housing. Like I was in the projects for six years. And so, you know, on one site, I managed 500 units, another site, 525, another site, you know, 510, 500 in that site. And so for me being six years of public housing and having to meet people at like the lowest income tier that there really is, I've learned how to differentiate the people that are there because of themselves and people that are there because of their circumstances. And so I know how to screen. Yeah. And so I haven't had to do, except for the young lady that I inherited at that property, I haven't had to do an eviction. And my first other one right now, I'm going through the eviction. And it's crazy. She's section eight and she's still not paying her portion of the rent. And wow. she and she's renting rooms out in my pro like she lives there, but she or at least I think she lives there, but she's renting some of the other rooms out. You can she's do that? Out. No, you can't do it. No, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> no, you can't. Want more money to pay off debt and increase your income? I'm Terry Egioma from Invest with Terry, and I teach an online course on how to invest in the stock market for daily or weekly returns. My seven-step strategy saves you time and erases the guesswork from trading. With these seven steps, I've earned over $16,000 in a day without having a large account. Start big or small. These proven steps will increase your profits and decrease your losses. To learn more, visit itradeandtravel.com. <laughs> that's why you know so that's why you know we were going to court and it was and here's a bad thing right our court date with her for eviction was march 20th a week before all the courts closed yeah. you know i have no idea when i'm going to be able to get this lady out uh, of that property you know so she's so, just pocketing all the money to herself and she's not giving you anything right but so here's the thing so section eight will still be paying their portion, except I'm abated because there were some pairs that needed to get done. But because of her, we couldn't get the people into the house. So Section 8 was like, oh, repairs not done. We couldn't inspect. So Section 8 stopped paying me in um, November. So I haven't got paid from that property since November. But once Section 8 does their inspection, I should get at least Section 8 Section eight portion. I'll get her portion. I won't get. But mm -hmm. the rent on that property is um, 1601 I think her portion like 500 bucks. So hopefully I'll get like a $10,000 check from Section 8, you know, once they up, then I'll be happy. But Section 8, you know, they got some salt with them. They, they throw them stuff in the game. You never know. Yeah. Anything could happen because of COVID. She might have moved up yeah. by now. I don't even know. So since we're talking about that, what would you say was your biggest mistake in real estate? My biggest mistake was the first property that I bought to do rooms in. Cause even though that wasn't that wasn't a hood, that was like another level hood, like where that was. I mean, it's like, and I'm doing rooms, and I'm doing all this dynamic. You know, I got so much domestic violence was going on in there. It was like young guys were coming through, like to cut up the dope in the apartment. You know, they um, I had a home invasion in there. You know, oh. it was just, it it was just a terrible experience, and then. 
I had eight rooms in there, so I'm getting paid crazy. But and, and all the guys I hung up in the corner, they knew I'm the land, they know I'm coming through. You know, I'm, I'm picking up cash every week, and they know it. And I'm like, man, I, I can't, I can't do this no more. And I ended up actually ended up foreclosing on that house, you know. And it was a relief when it foreclosed. Honestly, that was that house caused me like a lot of stress. And then when it was finally, cause I couldn't sell it. That house is the reason why I'm not big on the Burr method as a long-term strategy because I was in that house for so much and I couldn't sell it for what I owed on it. I tried to do a lease purchase. I, you know, I kept having to put money into the rentals and I was just stuck with this house and having to keep paying that mortgage every month. And um, and I couldn't really afford to fix it up because every time I fix it up, somebody would break in. They stole a the toilet, they stole a the vanity, they stole a the copper. They stole my water heater. They stole the windows. They stole the ceiling fans. You know, they stole the tools, the ladder. They stole, so everything. Every time I, I'll go in there, I'll steal up one way that they're getting in. They come in another way, you know. And it was just, I just kept putting money in the house in over and over and over again. And so finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to pay no more, you know. And that, and that was it. And then um, I was at the auction when that house finally went up for sale. And, you know, it, I felt like Prince I came at the next game. I was like, yeah! Empty face. <laughs> I was like, I can, I couldn't wait to get rid of the house, man. I was so happy. You know, a, 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 a period of calm came over me that I don't have longer to deal with that headache property. And you know, it took me like two years to build my credit back, but I was still doing cash deals, so it really, it didn't affect me that much. You know, I think, I think I saw that uh, on your on your Instagram. You're documenting that whole process. Somebody sent me that because I'd kind of been leery of the bird. Anytime something becomes super duper popular and it becomes like the way everybody's doing real estate, I kind of like, ah, I don't know about all that. So yeah. like Burr is. It's a, it's a great way to get in the game. It's a great way to acquire, acquire a lot of assets quickly. But I'll say is you have to make money elsewhere to continue that portfolio. Like if you know if you're if you're one depending on the banks and then two if you're doing section eight or low income, if you're dependent on the banks and poor people, recipe for disaster. Yep. You know, it's two people that's, that's two areas you really can't trust that much. You know, when you like if you're doing low income people, a lot of times their income is, you know, you know how it goes, right? It could go up, it could go down. You you could hope for the best. You know, it doesn't matter like the best person, right? If they low income, so you as of right now, they say like what eighty percent of the people in employment right now make less than forty thousand dollars. You know what I'm saying so that tell you right there, you need to get your high work, high, high um, high paying job so you can stay, you can stay at it. You know, but um, yep. so yeah, I, I just can't depend on on those two things. And so the one thing I learned, I learned so from from Warren Buffett and from um, Donald Trump, the business that I did learn from them is you got to have a cash generator to pump into your real estate business. Right. And so with Donald Trump, of course, you know, it was the um, the casinos and then Warren Buffett had like the, the Berkshire and they, they would take the business use that money and buy other assets with that. But you got to have a money machine to to reinvest. 100%. Cool. So super dope interview. Um, I'm going to ask you the few uh, wrap up questions and then we'll let you let you get on out of here. So the first question is, what is your uh, what's your best real estate investment advice? My best real estate investment advice is um, is always stop buying stuff like period, like in your personal life, like People spend like a lot of money on just stuff and 
buying a credit card and a personal debt, just just stop, just stop. Like most people, most of us have everything we really need as far as stuff. Yep. You know, that's my number one advice I always give. I like it. Who is somebody that you look up to and why? Somebody that I look up to and why? I mean, my all-time business idol is uh, Reginald Lewis. Why should white guys, why should white guys have all the fun? Um, you know, I'm really respecting what Aisha's doing. I told her, like, she's Oprah. I think she has Oprah yeah. level. She's got Oprah level potential right now. And I know she's doing her thing right now, but I really think that, you know, she's multiple hundreds, millions, then they're billionaire. I think she has everything to take. Um, but right now, I'm really learning stuff outside of real estate. I actually, I bought your course. You know, I bought your options trading course. You know, I'm learning that right now. And I'm so mad I didn't learn about stocks 20 years ago because I would either be all all the way up or I would be dead broke. I'd be like somewhere somewhere like that. But, you know, the options trading course is definitely helping me out. I actually, tomorrow I'm looking at my first uh, my first trade. Like I said, definitely take the joint. Dope. And uh, we'll, we'll see. I'm going to go ahead and look with the options. But, um, yeah, like right now, like I said, Richard Lewis for like the huge person and like closer to me, like would be Aisha for sure. Those two. Dope. What is your favorite business or real estate book? Um, well, like I said, watch it. Why guys have all the fun is there's so much motivation in that book, right? To watch him go from public house or like low income rather in Baltimore to be like the first black billionaire. I take a lot of excerpts from that book and I, I still use it like in my life right now, like some of the strategies and some of the mindset that it took to get him. Watch it, white cat. Watch it, white guys have all the fun. Is my, my I think my all time favorite book. Period. Honestly, that's what I'm trying to get to. My goal is business acquisitions, so hopefully <laughs> I can make something like that happen one of these days. Um, what sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? So I think a lot of it is like self-confidence more than anything else. Even like me, I mean, you know, I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. That's why I never got heavy and learning, even learning about stocks. But I did have the self-confidence when it came to real estate, because once again, like we always own real estate, you know, so, and I think that self-confidence is the biggest thing. And then also realizing that money comes and goes, you can't be scared to lose money, you know, and a good thing about real estate is if you own a property, you don't lose you don't really lose the money. Even if you pay too much for it, you still own the asset. Yeah. You know, so yeah, don't be scared to lose money. That's my, that's one of the things that I'm like worried about in buying a business is like the business. It's not like real estate. Like you can't like lick, it doesn't boil down to like sticks and sticks and whatever sticks and bricks. So the business is like, it could be gone in a second. That's yeah, true. I mean, but I think you buy a business that, um, that's on the product that might be, because you can see the sales and see the, the popularity and the growth. It's probably like right. a little bit easier. But a service yeah. business, I don't know so much about yeah. a service-based business. What does wealth mean to you? Wealth means to me the ability to not have to set an alarm clock on any days, <laughs> which is my life right now. I don't have to, you know, I'm not the, I, I told, I had a dinner, actually had a, uh, a dinner with Reek, uh, Justin, Aisha. And I was like, listen, man, I'm probably the poorest millionaire here, man. But I'll take, <laughs> I'll take, I'll take it. I'll be the poorest millionaire in a bunch. I'm fine with that. And, um, you know, I just, that's it, man. Being able to just live your life on your own terms. There's nothing more valuable than me. I don't work any day past like three o'clock. I want to make sure I'm there picking my sons from school. You know, and that, that's wealth to me. 100%. Dame will be proud. Uh, thank you for the, uh, for the interview, man. I'm sure people are going to get a lot of value out of this. Where can people find out more about you? Where can they follow you and where can they support what you have going on? All right. So um, 
like Instagram right now, like the easiest way that's at real estate underscore coach underscore Carter. And you email me, um, carter.malik at gmail.com. I am going to be rolling out the, uh, the marketing for my turnkey real estate investing here in Philly for people that are interested in that. And, um, that's going to be a big model for people like you and those high, um, high value areas where I don't know if you can find stuff out in, out in, out in San Diego for, for 80,000 and 40,000 bucks. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, like a deal might out here might be like 300, 400. That's a deal. Yeah. Nah, a, a deal here. Like 18,000. I could find something eight, but today. If I find something for 18,000, yeah. you know, so that turnkey model. Yeah. I had to start looking at a state. So that's kind of yeah. where I am. Yeah. Cool. So make sure you guys follow him. Make sure you support what he has going on. Hit him up in the DMs or the e- email. He's definitely responsive. Um, this is episode 146. But um, yeah, just make sure you guys support what we have going on. Check out the website, www.tycapital.co. Follow us on Instagram at Todd.capital. And just continue to just be great and take advantage of these opportunities that presented themselves due to the coronavirus. Uh, my name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Todd Millionaire, signing off.